This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 621. And the quote of the day is, you won't be truly successful at work just by showing up. You have to outwork the competition and those around you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond hey hey what's going on everybody nick ruffini here episode 621 and this is a episode that originally aired in may of 2018 and i always have a reason why i bring these older episodes up to the top because there's so many of them that there's always these gems that you know if you just started listening recently or even within the last year or two you may have missed some of them because a lot of times you don't go all the way back to the end of the catalog so counting crows just came out with a new ep called butter miracle suite one and i was listening to the i was listening to the album and then it got me thinking about having this conversation with jim and jim is such an amazing player and there are so many nuggets of of wisdom in this conversation that we have he's truly a guy that works hard uh you know does all the right things plays his ass off and really serves the music he plays with he's played with cheryl crow excuse me uh has been with counting crows for a very long time as well and just a really musical working drummer and i think that the stuff that he shares in this episode is really valuable and it really made me think of this conversation we had this at his house uh, a few years ago back in 2018 and as i was listening to the crowning counting crows record i was thinking man that episode with jim was amazing so i pulled it up to the top and here we are so i'm not going to waste any more time let's get into it with the counting crows jim Bogus. I play a damn bar gig. I haul my stuff in. I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think that uh, letting any of that stuff sort of go to your head, right? It's, well, some people get to a certain level and they don't want to, they don't want to do, uh, they don't want to do that type of gig anymore. Right. You know, they feel like they're above it. It's like, hello, you know, and you got to play. It's not always going to be, you got your tech and, and I don't know, all that stuff makes you appreciate it more and and keeps you keeps you honest keeps you in check you got to check yourself yeah i mean especially because if it if it's if it goes too far then nobody wants to work with you anymore yeah and you you never know too everybody i mean the the bottom can drop out at any time i mean it'd be great to be uh oh sorry about that we're like we're doing we're redoing the living room what's oh (laughs) oh yeah there's this we're getting yeah. Anyways, well, we're they right in the midst of it. Luckily, we're uh, yeah, we're audio only, so they, they can't, can't they can't see the yeah. This is not a cool pad. Look at that crap. <laughs> I think it's cool. This view. I wish uh, everyone could see this view because it is, it's amazing. So we are in Berkeley, California, and we are in your home. Thank you for inviting me in. I appreciate Anytime. it. All right, I'll be here next week. Uh, I'll stop over for dinner. <laughs> you can, you can uh, house sit. There you go. And go on the road. You can take care of the dog. See how that works. All right, uh, I got a cat. That's about. That's enough for me. That's mm. the perfect. I feel like that's the perfect drummer's animal. It's like you leave. He takes care of himself. You yeah. Know, you feed him. That's about it. They're aloof though, or some of them. I shouldn't say all of them. This cat is cool as shit. Yeah. It's probably the coolest cat. Ever. There's like, a reason like a they dog. call me Jim Dog. I'm a dog guy. That's my is that that's what it my, is? That's my nickname is Jim Dog. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
So you're you're originally from here, right? Where I mean, where are you where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Oakland. Okay. I was born in San Francisco, and then right before high school age, we moved to Moraga. You know, from Oakland to Moraga, suburbia. Okay. Yeah. For those of you not familiar with the Bay Area, but it couldn't have been any different. You might as well have thrown me in Europe to to you know go from Oakland to Moraga. Oh really? Yeah. It's just like. Just, just totally, shock. yeah, culture shock. and Good it, or bad? Uh, just different. Yeah. Just different. It, it's weird. It, it, I'm, a, I'm a product of both of those places, and mm-hmm. I would not be the same. You know, I got my hard Oakland edge, and I've got my suburbia side too, but it, it definitely changed me uh, as a person. Yeah. For I, sure. I understand that. I, I mean, obviously, I did it older, as an older guy, like moving from, I moved from Hoboken, so I'm basically in New York City, yeah. right? And I moved to where I live now in Livermore and it's like, oh, okay, this is a total, this is a different speed. Yeah. And I feel like I, I understand what you're saying about like both worlds, you know, and do, what, what do you like better though? Do you like having both? Like here, we were talking earlier, like you're sort of in the spot where you're close enough, but you're not too close. You're not in it. I, I like it. I like the diversity. That's the thing about uh, the suburbs is that you're not, I mean, you're getting a little more diversity than it used to be, but not, you know, just culturally different people, the, the food, the, you know, the whole vibe right. is, is a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're way more sheltered. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little different now, but when I lived, you know, when I moved out there, I was just amazed at how people, you know, they just, it's, it's not really the real, the real world. They got to get, <laughs> right. you, you know, you go out to Berkeley or Oakland and they didn't, you, they didn't know how to, act you know they were staring or just you know things that you take for granted from growing up in these places is you know kind of street smarts I right guess. yeah, um, yeah you know so so for my family i kind of want to get a little bit of both give them both yeah both sides i of don't want to go on, on on either one that but, makes uh, sense. but i'm happy for that time in oakland it has definitely changed me yeah how long did you live there uh let's see about 13 14 years okay yeah, yeah so you came up sort of like your Formidable years were right in Oakland. Right, that's where that's where your your foundation was built, <laughs> for sure. So tell me about you as a as a younger guy. So you, I know that you grew up in a musical family. You were playing at a young age. You were in your first band at what twelve? Yeah. You know. So how was was it? Just like that's all you knew. I I don't remember a time where I wasn't certain that's what I was going to do. Which really? which I think it's a it's a blessing and a curse. It, it in it. I mean, I think it's it's a blessing for sure, mm-hmm. and, and and that's a. I feel like everyone has certain things that they could excel in and have things inside of them that that can help them along the way, and then mm-hmm. the rest is hard work. But it's just finding those things that you you click with, right? And and I knew at an at an early age, like that was that was it. I was going to play music. Was that because of the influence? Because your father is a. Yeah, it's he, interesting. It's interesting. My father, you know, he was a. Trumpet player Trumpet in the player. San Francisco mm-hmm. Symphony for like 48 years, you know, for forever. Um, is that a full-time gig? It's a full-time is gig. Is it? Okay. I and, wasn't and, sure if that's like, you know. I mean, you have time off, but it's a full-time gig. It's a great gig. You know, that's one of the top five symphonies. And as you get older, you start to realize, okay, there's, you know, four trumpet players in each symphony. And that's one of the top, you know, the numbers start to really narrow. Sure. And you, you realize like, oh my God, my dad has a really heavy gig yeah um and it's it's hard to get in but but once you get in and you you know you get tenure and a contract it's one of the few jobs in in music where you have all those things Mm -hmm. um but my dad never really he didn't want music for me because he he didn't he didn't like the business of music 
And I think it's the same back then as it is now. I mean, things are different, but it's still hard to make it in music and in the arts. And part of that is, you know, the simple math. There's just too many players and only so many jobs. And, right. and he kind of felt like if you put half the energy that it takes to be, you know, a really good musician into something else, you can do way better. Right. But when, you know, so he didn't really want that life for me. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who's a successful musician. But well, and he, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would guess that he's thinking he sort of won the lottery. You know what I mean? In, like, yeah. in terms of gigs. Yeah. You know, like you, it's like if you play on a, on, you know, the Tonight Show, there's like three other people who have that gig. Yeah. There's not 80 of them or a hundred of them or a couple hundred of them out there. Is that what, is that what he was thinking? Sort of like, I, just, I got lucky. I, let's, I don't know if you're going to get so lucky. I just think it's overall. I just think it's, it's opportunity and just, you got to make sure you really want it. Yeah. You know, when I started to do it at, at school and, and, and do things like that, and this is real heavy to lay on someone at 12 years old, but he could see I was doing it at school and playing in bands. And he said, look, if, if you want to practice your ass off and study all the styles, maybe you can make a living. <laughs> and he said, if it's worth it for you for that, then you're going into the right business. If you don't feel that way, just do right. something else. And that's heavy for a 12 year old, like what? But, but yeah. he was, but he was correct. And you're probably thinking, what do I need to make a living for? I don't even know what that is anyway, you know? <laughs> and, and he used to, you know, even like later in life as I'm touring and, you know, doing really well, I would come home and call him, you know, the first call when I get back from the road. And the first thing he'd say when I get on the phone is, are you practicing? And it's like, dad, you know, but his whole thing was, you know, if you're not practicing, somebody else is. And, yeah. and, and I'm sorry, music as in life, or I always use sports analogies, it's competition. And mm -hmm. you're, you know, as much as it's all love and goodwill, when you go into these auditions and you go into these things, you're competing against other people. And, and what are you going to do to set yourself aside, mm -hmm. you know, to, to bring some intangibles, uh, you know, and you're going to, how are you going to make yourself stand out? Right. And you got to outwork these people too. And so he, you know, he kind of nailed that in me from an, an early age. The sports reference is something that's interesting to me because like you said, it's, I, I don't believe in competition in music in terms of right. like putting seven drummers up and judging who the best is. Right. Right. But on the other side of the coin, of course, like there, you have to be working as hard as these other people. And people always ask me for advice about touring or getting gigs and all this stuff. And I've not done anything to the level that you have, but, but I say, okay, well go look at all the guys who are doing all the top gigs. That's your competition. Yeah. So can you compete with them? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you have to compete with Steve Jordan. You, you know, like he's, he's one of the guys. So he, there's a, they're looking for a drummer and he's one of the potential people that they can hire or you or right. anyone else. When, when I auditioned for Sheryl Crow, you know, and I was like, 24, 25, I remember going to LA and as I was waiting to go into the room, I saw all these famous drummers that I right. knew going in and out and it just, it made me even more nervous. I'm just, <laughs> oh my God. And you're already nervous. Yeah, I'm already nervous. Who uh, was going in and out? I, you know, I, <laughs> I can't say. I beat them all. No. Right. But, but, uh, you, cause Steve worked with her too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did some but stuff he did later. studio stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, he, you know, back then I think he was probably a lot less interested in going on the road. But as right. you can see, a lot of guys that are doing a lot of studio stuff will also go on the road just to 
yeah. survive. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different day, but I think back then, uh, people went on the road a lot less that could make their living totally from studio. Right. I mean, there's, you know, it's still happening, but I noticed people that did purely studio stuff. You all of a sudden you see them on the road and that's been and guys that been were like, that I don't go on the road. Yeah. yeah, you do if you want to eat, but, right. uh, yeah, it's tough. So, so anyway, so then when I got in the room, it was the same as everything you do. It's a couple people in a room playing music. Mm-hmm. And once we started playing, I started to forget all the nerves and just started to do my thing. And, you know, I'm grabbing the mic, I'm singing. And uh, right. And also I, I prepped properly for that gig, which is, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't much time, but that's, but that's another big point. Like when you get these opportunities and they only come around once in a while, um, you, you have to make the most of them. Right. And there's so many people, and I, I talk about this all the time with younger people, but that, that just, when they get an audition, they'll take the attitude like, well, I'll do the work after I get the gig. But I then love, it's I too late. You, you only have that one moment to show, you know, what you're made of, your work ethic. I mean, you're showing a lot of things just in that one moment. And right. if you come and you didn't, you know, really totally know the songs, I mean, what is that showing yeah. them? Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, when I got the call, and usually these things are always last minute, I had a session set up and I decided to call the people, tell them what was going on and sub out of the session because I wanted to spend every moment I had working on these songs sure. to do the best that I possibly could. And, that, and that's all you can ask of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, prepare the best you can, go in, do the best job you can, and then that's it. But if you if you go in and you didn't take that time and then you didn't get the gig, you're going to be second guessing like, oh, wow, I should have, you know. What if I worked harder, whatever it is. Sessions lo- will come and go, but that, but that thing, you know, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I love the fact that you said preparing beforehand because I think so many people, like you said, figure, oh, I'll do the work after I get the gig or developing whether it be a practice routine or habits and all this other stuff they're like well once sure i would do that if i was that guy like i if i was playing all i did was playing full-time i'd be practicing a lot more and it's like no 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 you have to the practicing comes first then that's how you get to that point not the other way around like you can't develop the habits after you become the person that you want to become if that makes any sense yeah yeah for sure so tell me about the the audition a little bit because i'm guessing that that's, I don't want to say it's a rare occasion, but most guys don't get hired from cattle call, from cattle call uh, auditions, right? Um, in your experience, yeah, I don't. I, I think I don't know how many people. Like, you know, she knew who I was. I mean, she'd heard of me, right? You know, I played in this band, Papa's Culture, in the Bay Area, and I guess my name came up with different musicians, and and also you just never know where you're going to get a recommendation right. or where things are going to uh-huh. are going to happen but she heard my name one too many times and she thought like all right I'm going to check this kid out but I was like a you know un, basically unknown kid from the bay area right but uh the thing you know the the second record was about to come out so they had a couple songs on that record and that was what they were going to audition on mm-hmm. and I went and bought the first record and charted out all the songs on that record, just in case. And Smart. and that's where reading comes in too. Again, you, you know, nine times out of 10 or even more than that, I'm never doing a gig where 
someone's going to come in with a chart. It's right. just not in my field, you know, in the pop field. Every once in a while you do a session or you get a jingle or something like that and, and that'll come up. But for the most part, there's people aren't writing music. You do it all by ear. But right. having that skill, and I don't care how good your memory is, if, if you're going to learn 10, 12 songs in a night, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm, unless, you can, <laughs> unless you can chart things out, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going right. to miss stuff. So... So I chartered everything out and, you know, write the groove, write the breaks, right. put the, you know, just the basic yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I think when people think here charting, they're like, oh, note for note. I can, it's like, yeah. you need a roadmap or... It's a roadmap. Yeah. It's exactly. And the thing about a map is you could, you, you, you want to get from A to Z, but you can take all sorts of different ways. Right. It's not going to be the same every time. And mm -hmm. I, what I try to look for when I'm copying someone else's stuff or a song, it, the first thing is the, the essence of the tune. You know, what, what vibe... You know, and then and then you want to get the basic groove. And I don't copy fills unless I feel like it's a signature thing or something that's part of the song. Right. And and you know the breaks, the dynamics, but that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. So of course, when I go on the audition, we get done with the songs, and then Cheryl says, "Oh, you know, let's play a couple, a couple songs from the first record. I know you don't know this, just play along." And I'm in there, just bam, 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 and 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 they're like, "Who is this kid?" And you, because you already knew the tune, right? Yeah. Well, I have my, my cheat sheets yeah. or my charts. Did yeah, you tell so. them that you... No, knew. I just played. I mean, yeah. I had, you know, I, I had a small stand, but it's like underneath a hi-hat, so it's kind of inconspicuous. And right. I just sort of, I just sort of played. Jokes it on them. <laughs> it didn't really come up. <laughs> I didn't mention the fact that yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. like, man, this guy can, yeah. this guy oh, can play on the fly. <laughs> but that, the prep, that's, I mean, that's what separates you. That, you know, that's what got you the gig, I'm sure. You know, granted, you're playing, right? But it's right. like that. I mean, all that you're help, prepared. The you're, singing is another right. thing. I was. Yeah, talk to me about that. Like, how do you, are you, did you work on developing that at the same time with your playing? Was there a practice I, thing that you were doing? I would, you know, looking back, I was working on it with one of my first teachers without even knowing it. And, and by that, I mean, one of the things that he would make me do to, uh, it, you know, drums, as we know, is all about independence. Right. And and to take, if we were doing a jazz groove or a samba groove or something like that, to take it even further, what he would have me do to get those things on automatic pilot was he would have me read words from a book. Really? While I was playing the patterns. And and that was developing my fifth limb, which mm -hmm. is the voice. And and so I didn't realize till way later on, wow, that helped me with, with my singing. Of course, you're... And then you got to deal with you know the tones and 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 the notes and all that, but but it was developing, being able to, you know, play these patterns sure. and not have the voice affect what's going on with your hands, as as we do as drummers all the time when mm -hmm. we're learning a new groove. You know, if you're having trouble, you break it down to the, you know, the right hand, the right yeah. foot, the you know, just start building it up, and that's what the uh, that's what the voice was was doing for me with uh, with those exercises, huh. and then it hit me later when I saw. Uh, Ayerto playing this, you know, crazy patterns on the drum set and just killing it. And then all of a sudden he grabs a whistle and he starts soloing <laughs> over the top with the whistle. And I'm like, oh man, it's the, it's the fifth limb. Right. And, and um, to take it further, I, I, I noticed in my career, most of the times when I'm singing, it's matching the kind of attitude and the vibe that I'm playing with on the drums, mm. but then you get on these certain songs where you have to separate and I'll be playing a really 
like I, I could think of Ben Folds because this is when it kind of hit me when I was on that gig. You know, I'm playing this really aggressive kind of Keith Moon type of part on the drums, and then at the, with lots of fills, and at the same time, my voice is, you know, doing. Yeah, but my drums are like, you know. So yeah. to separate those two, that was a that was a whole nother level. Was there me. a practice? I mean, did you? Pra- yeah, just I had practice to. It? I had to kind of. How do you work even practice that? that? Just by doing it. Yeah. I, I, and and for me, singing and playing, I became better at it by gigging and and doing these gigs where I was singing all the time and even playing uh, cover bands where they had a lot of drum machine and loops mm-hmm. and so you're really having to work out your your timing issues right. and then it's just repetition man do you know i didn't start out just you know oh this is easy no problem and 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 now i don't give it a second thought but i've been i've been working on it and i've also been playing a million gigs where mm-hmm. i'm singing all the time and it was just another thing to bring to the table i mean f- first of all for me i love doing it Right. First and foremost. But but just in the business standpoint, okay, you know, like that Cheryl Crow gig, if if you go with a bunch of drummers and you guys both play great, but I sing, that's another thing to add. And I was like the main singer in that band, you know, besides Cheryl. I right. did all the two parts with her and, and you know, it makes it they lean on you more and it makes you right. it makes you harder to get rid of. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say, does it it makes you more marketable? Totally. In the beginning, but then it makes you harder to replace, too. And, and I have a high voice, so I'm doing a lot of the high harmonies. And, and I remember when I left Cheryl, there were still, you know, they actually had some songs to tape, and they had my vocal part on on some of the tracks oh, really? for a while. Yeah. So do you think that, do you think you get paid more if you can sing and play? <sighs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I just think it, I just think it's another thing to bring to the table to, right. to add Right. Because, you know, if you're in the studio and you play drums and then you play percussion, you can get paid as the percussion player. Yeah, Eddie well, can, sure, in that instance. You know, um, I didn't know if it, if it translates on, on tour or not. I think it's helped me get gigs. Right. I will say that. So, in some ways, yeah, but I don't think mm-hmm. they pay me more because I sing as well. Right. Right. I should think about that. I mean, I'm, they gotta... I can help you renegotiate <laughs> your contracts if you like. You, you know who... And and one of my big influence, like for singing drummers, Levon Helm, yeah. the late great Levon Helm, um, he was one of those guys that like he played great drums and he sang amazing. And when he did them both, neither suffered. Mm-hmm. You know, they were both just totally amazing. And if you watch that, uh, the last waltz, mm-hmm. there there's all those artists, guest artists, and you know the who's who of music, but. When you watch that thing, the star of stars in that whole movie is Levon, man. He just kills it. Yep. And no overdubs. Everything was done mm-hmm. as he was doing it that night. And that guy, he was the coolest guy, too. He re- it really uh, fun meeting him and being able to do some things with him. Oh, you met him before? Day. With Cheryl, yeah. man. We met everybody and got to play with everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You played with, like, Prince and, like, all sorts of people. I mean, he, every night you would... Just be looking up and thinking, like, am I sitting here, you know, playing with Keith Richards or Clapton or Prince? And, you know, you just want to pinch yourself. Would they just sit in every night? She she loved the legends and they loved her, and especially at that time. So we would invite them all the time. And and we did also, you know, specials where we had guests play. We do things for VH1. We did a big thing at Central Park where all these, you know, Sheryl Crow and friends, which they were trying to imitate what we did on the road, Uh which was have people play with us all the what's time. it like playing with 
print. Oh man, I mean, to to play with your heroes and and get the thumbs up for them, it it, it gives you a lot of confidence. It makes right. you, you know, obviously. Well, sure. I, I mean, early on when we were doing a thing with uh, with Levon Helm and um, Steve Winwood was there, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know a bunch of other ones. Amy Lou Harris. Anyways, James Taylor. He was there too. And we were doing a rehearsal and Levon was playing Mando and I was on drums. And he, James Taylor kept wanting Levon to play drums, which was cool, you know, and he kept yeah. asking him and, and I'm sitting back at the drums like, hello, I'm right here, you know? I mean, <laughs> after once it was fine, but he kept doing it. Right. And in my head, I'm thinking like, shut the F up, James Taylor, you know, like... <laughs> And and finally, Levon said, "Who invited you anyway?" Yeah, yeah. James Taylor. And and finally, Levon goes, "You know, James, I think my man Jim has got it all taken care of back there." And I was, you know, I'm 25 year old drummer, right. just like, yes, You're you like, know, oh. thanks. And just to get that vote of confidence, and you right. know, later we we got to hang out, and and uh, you know, coming from the man like that, mm -hmm. it just it gives you a lot of you know a lot of self uh, I think he's a I think he's a really underrated drummer. Oh yeah. I mean I just I don't know I don't know if he's underrated because I feel like people in the know know, right? right? right. But I like he his name doesn't get brought up a lot when when we're talking about great drummers and I mean the guy sang, he wrote, he, you know, he played drums, he played like he's one of the most musical drummers right. I've ever heard in my life. You know, I I don't know. I just think he doesn't get the uh the recognition he deserves. Yeah, I would, you know? I would agree. So playing with some of these guys, is it, I remember when I was younger and I would go see concerts and, or go to like a baseball game or something. Mm -hmm. So, right, and you see all these people, they're like your heroes. And it doesn't really register until you're like on the way home. And you're like, oh man, I like, I was literally just at a concert seeing all my heroes, it's amazing. And you start to think about like, oh, I should have taken it in more. Is it that kind of situation when you're on stage with Clapton or Prince or somebody like that, or are you in the moment? I'm in the moment. Yeah, I'm in the. I mean, the 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 first time Clapton sat in, I was I was so nervous, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's Clapton and we're playing, and oh now he's about to take a solo, man. <laughs> I'm backing him up, but then, and then what do I do? And it's like, well, you do what you've been doing your whole life, you know, just like that audition. You've prepared right. yourself for these moments where you just. You just go, you just play. Mm -hmm. You use your ears, you do your thing, and trust yourself. It's gotten you this far. Yeah, just keep doing so, what you're doing. So you keep, and that always, time and time again, I'll get in these situations. Um, okay, the last, the last Counting Crows record, I was having, uh, sorry to go off on a, on no, a, on a tangent here, but, but uh, that's what we're here for. We were, we were supposed to, um, well, I, we were going to have our, our first baby, my wife mm -hmm. and I. And she was supposed to already be born, but of course they don't go by schedule. Uh, and we had to start the record, which fortunately was right here at Fantasy in Berkeley. Um, so we go in there, we had to schedule, you know, that she was going to be induced. So I, it was the first day of the, the studio. So the, the, the idea was like, okay, we're going to get a song and then they'll finish it up and I'll go later that day, that night. And that's when you know, we're going to have a baby. Right. Um, so uh, we don't do any pre-production in our van. We just, 
there's rough demos that are acoustic guitar and keyboard. And then we just go in the studio. We haven't right. even talked about a groove, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's actually a great way to work because you really get that discovery, mm-hmm. which I, you know, we have the saying, the tape, you know, who uses tape anymore, but the tape loves discovery. You know, it, it, it can, it can hear when you're, when you're searching and when you find those magic moments, other than when you're overthinking things, mm-hmm. you know, something or going well. in with some agenda that, yeah. yeah. But the flip side is that you have to trust the process. 76ers, but you have to trust the process. You never know. Are you a Sixers One song's going to take, I'm, I'm all Oakland, man. I'm Warriors. Uh, oh, okay. I'm Warriors, all Raiders. Right, right. I'm a Philly guy. That's what all I was right, asking. All right, all right. So. I'm, I'm in, I mean, I think they're doing great. Yeah, and I yeah. think they might make it to the finals, but. I hope so. If the Warriors are there, they're going to, they're not ready for prime time yet. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we'll make that side bet we'll, later. Yeah, yeah. We'll we talk still got to get through uh, New Orleans and, and, yeah, there's uh, a lot to and go. Houston. We won a Super Bowl. I'm good. For, I don't care if they oh, don't man, win was, a, I don't care big. if they don't win a championship for the next 20 years. I'm good. That was anyway. Big. Go ahead. Sorry. So okay, where was so you're I? in the studio. You're oh, doing. Oh, you're trusting the process. Yeah, but if you don't do that, it can be a real. It can be a real drag because because not everything is going to go really well. Right. You've never played this song. You haven't even talked about the groove. So you have to let things be flushed out. So anyways, we picked this song. We've never played it. It's not going well, and it's not going well for everyone. It's mm-hmm. a collective thing. But because they know we've got to get this drum track. Everyone is focused on me, um, and that's just making it worse. And so you're getting seven opinions, you know, all the guys in the van, and you know, everyone do in like the control a, you should, room. You should try yeah, this, man. Yeah, yeah. Try it's this. Like, yeah. It's just, you know. So finally, we're at the point where, you know, I know they're gonna let me go because I've got to, you know, I'm, we're gonna have the baby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out there, but I don't want to go under those kind of circumstances. I know it's gonna mess with me, so. At a certain point, it's getting to the, you know, it's getting late and it, right. it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So I just say, all right, I'm just going to get some air for a second. And I go outside and I'm just thinking, you know, forget what everybody, all these things and all this talk coming at you. Just trust yourself and, and do your thing, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is what's gotten you here in the first place. And I went in there and bam. It just happened, man. I just, I just got the take, and it was, it was such a release. I remember, uh, you know, just, just yelling in the studio and kind of ripping my shirt off <laughs> and flexing, and, um, and the song was dislocation. Mm-hmm. That's on the, that's on, uh, um, the hell's the name of the record? Um, Our last record. <laughs> now you're putting me on the spot. Um, how do, how do I not remember or what our last? That's because it's, it's been so long between. I think between it's inexcusable records. for you. It's okay for me, but it's inexcusable for you. I was literally just listening to it. Um, <sighs> wow. Anyways, it was underwater sunshine. What the heck is the name? Uh, Somewhere under Wonderland. That was the name of the record. All right, I'm, I haven't totally <laughs> lost it. Okay, so it was dislocation on Somewhere Under Wonderland. So after we, after I got that song and we got the take, and I just knew we went to another song and then I busted that out in like three takes and then I left the studio like the hero off to go do the most amazing you know nothing can prepare you for the the, the birth of a child it right. was just you know but I but I left like that was a good in such uh, ecstasy it was a great day and that, yeah. and that song <laughs> and that record will always remind me of Tatum you know right. her daughter and uh, that's cool that you have the story too that you know you oh, can man. tell her later you know like 
That's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was really great. And then they were able to fin- flush out those those other two songs, and then move to an acoustic song. So I had all this time to enjoy, you know, the the birth of my daughter and just being home for Amazing. a while, and then then went back into the studio. So. And a lot of times, like you said, you you know, there's everyone has an opinion. There's everybody's oh, you should try this, blah, blah. and sometimes you just you can't overthink it. You got to step out, right? And just like, all right, let me regroup here for a minute. <laughs> let me like get all these things out. And it could be with anything. It could be. It doesn't have to necessarily be in the studio. It could be you know whatever project you're working on or whatever thing you're trying to do. It's like let me just step away with this yeah. for a minute. So like stupid story but yesterday so i have like in the podcast so i have advertisements right so i had to record a new ad right i'm usually like i can do it really well and this ad was like super simple right i probably i probably screwed it up 45 (laughs) times sometimes that just happens and i'm like what ah what is going on so same deal like and it's it's such as it's like a quick 30 second thing that i had to record that i'm like i can knock them out pretty quickly and I had to send it off to someone, and I was like, "Man, this is like this is almost embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for myself that I can't, I can't say these words." But then you go out, step out, come back, in and be like, right. "Okay, it just needs focus. to sink in and refocus." Sometimes that goes with practicing. You'll be trying something and you just can't get it, and you step away for a little while, right? Go back, bam. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So I want to talk about you getting the gig for Counting Crows. I should probably preface this with the fact that Counting Crows. For me, top three band of mine, favorite band. All right. Uh, August and Everything After is my favorite record of all time. Reason being, I know that you weren't on the record, but reason being, it got, obviously, the playing, the songwriting, it made me understand what good songwriting was. And ever since that record, I've been a fan. I've, you know, bought every record, you know, been to a ton of shows Jimmy, and all that kind you. of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so sitting here talking to you, I, I, this is amazing for me. Um, but I want to talk about you getting that gig, and so you're replacing essentially two drummers now, right? So you're, right. You, Steve was was on the first record, and then was it Ben? Ben Mize. Ben Mize, yeah, was on the other stuff. So yeah. how do you one? How did you get the gig, and then two? What is your sort of mindset and approach going into replacing already a catalog of of records? Right, right. Um, I got an audition, you know, probably because of the work I'd done before, mm-hmm. and and we're all Bay Area guys, right? So they knew me roughly in the Bay Area. I was really good friends with David Immergluck. Mm-hmm. We played in bands for we like to say many bands, many lands, <laughs> uh, but we played in Papa's Culture back in the day, and then he got the gig with Hyatt. It, Immer actually played on August and Everything After. Oh, did he? And then they offered him to be in the band and. Our records, Papa's Culture and Counting Crows, back in the early '90s, both of our records dropped at the same time. We both had, you know, sold-out gigs at Slim's, and you know, Papa's Culture was kind of all over the map, mm-hmm. you know, stylistically, which back then was not not cool. Not cool, like no. you know, you go in it the like record store. Your lane. Well, they didn't know what to do with us. Everything was very categorized then. Right. I mean, the last ten years would have been a great time for that band because mm-hmm. it was, you know, reggae, rap. Dance hall, rock, you know, Latin. It was all these things mixed in, female and male singer. I, I'd go in the record store. One record store would have it in the rap, the other in the reggae. Nobody knew what, what it to was. Do with us. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like Sublime is kind of that way. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I mean, I guess they're like they're technically ska, but like I don't know, they're I rock. Mean, there's a they're lot rap. of bands that 
have made it with a lot of styles in yeah. the lap. But back then, man, it wasn't it just happening. Wasn't. And and I knew the label was really behind Counting Crows. It, uh, and I told our guitar player, you need to join this band. I mean, the the, the songs were great. Obviously, right. the band was awesome. Adam was a great singer. But they also had the, the backing behind them. You would go to the mall to buy a pair of jeans, mm -hmm. and in that bag was a cassette of Mr. Jones. Really? I mean, yeah. I knew, like, it was on. I mean, they were, you know, they were getting the push. And, right. and they were great, mm -hmm. too. And, and he didn't do it. And, you know, Counting Crows went up and up and up, and my, our band, Papa's Culture, went, <laughs> dive off, down. But, Why didn't he join? Why did he, he just, I don't know. Did he, don't, did he get asked him. to get join as a member or just to go yeah, on tour? Yeah, no, no, to join really? as a member. And if he had done that, probably Dan Vickery never would have been in the band. <laughs> and we'd have two guitar players instead of three and I'd be making more money. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but he ended up coming back into the band later. Right, right. So, so I knew Immer, but, but Immer Gluck, when, when Bowman, now I'm, I'm going way back, when Bowman left the band, or actually he got fired, but yeah. whatever, uh, when, I've talked to him about when that. that was, like, why did yeah. you get fired? And he was like, because I was a dick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he was like, I, I, you know, I was. And, you, you know, know, and I love Steve. So the I'm beginning like, of the end was him not, was them bringing in Fongheiser to play Mr. Jones. That was, you, you know, he didn't like that song and it wasn't working out. Yeah. And they brought him in and, and, you know, that ended up being the biggest hit. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and Steve that was the beginning it. of the end of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you got to play some songs you don't like, I, right. I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, that was a that was a tough that was a tough. Yeah, I I don't know what went on with those guys. I know that Adam and Steve were clashing a lot, and right. that happens. Yeah. Um, no, but and, whatever. And, they made they made the choice. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for I mean, for the record, I had him on the <clears throat> I had him on the podcast a yeah. while ago, and he was like, you know, I was a I was a dick, and then he was like, you know. Now, I mean, he's. I feel like he's like a totally different guy than he yeah. than he used to be. I don't know how well you. Well, hindsight is. Yeah, hindsight I mean, is always. But did he say that that he got fired or that yeah, he left? Yeah. Or, uh, no, no, no. He was honest. You know, he was he was extremely. Uh, I don't know if that's out there. You know, they always say like, oh, we decided they never they never. No, come, he's come. like when I left the band, he's like, well, when you know when I got fired. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, but. You know, I don't know. I love Steve though. I, you know, oh, he's I, great, man. Yeah, and he's him. a great drummer. So just for the record, yeah. I'm just you know, I'm I'm very fond of uh, of Steve. But yeah, he, you know, he was he was honest and open about it. Right. So when, obviously, when that went down, every drummer in the Bay Area was trying to get an audition because they were they were huge, and and I didn't get one. Were you and trying then, to get one? Oh yeah, yeah. And I knew Emmergluck too. I was you know I was trying to get in, and then you know fast forward later when when ben left mm -hmm. and i got the gig i asked adam like hey man back in the day like why didn't i get an audition and this is so adam you know papa's culture he loved papa's culture and we opened for counting crows at the fillmore right uh did you and adam know each other or no i mean just you know just sort of loosely like right. he knew i was a drummer in that band and right. you know i knew some of the guys in the band but not really well mm -hmm. other than Immergluck. Um, who wasn't in the band at that time, but then, <laughs> but then he joined, but then he joined about right. that time. Um, and Adam told me he didn't want to break up Papa's culture by having me play in Counting Crows. Really? And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, don't do us any favors. You know, back then we'd been dropped by our label, you know, we right. were struggling. It yeah. was like, we had nothing going on and, you know, who knows what would have been different if I had gotten the gig, you know, but there 10 years later. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you I probably could have done, probably could have done both, maybe. Do you think or no? What both play in? Oh, oh yeah, I mean, Papa's culture was on it was, his last it was on leg. his last leg. But I never would have done Cheryl then if I had gotten that County Crows gig. Valid point. So you never would have gotten to play with Prince and Eric Clapton and Levon no, Helm. County Crows and doesn't have cool people sitting <laughs> like Cheryl did. <laughs> so it all kind of took it, you know. So, right. So, so how did you get the gig? Uh, well, then, at the when, end? when Ben left, they, uh, I got an audition, but it was it was just like in the Cheryl days. It's like a ton of different people. Mm-hmm. You, you, you go in, and then um, they had a second call, and I guess they narrowed it down between myself and, and Gorman, the drummer for the Black Crows. Oh, okay. And, and we went back and auditioned as they were playing at the sound check where they were playing a gig um, around Christmas at the Warfield. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then they had a meeting and they decided on me. And I'm, I'm still with Cheryl at this point. And mm-hmm. I, we're, we're just on a break. And Adam, at the gig, introduces me as the new drummer, like on the mic. And, and I haven't even talked to Cheryl yet or even decided, you know, I'm going to do this gig. The only reason I even considered it, because... Cheryl Crow was such a great gig for me, and uh, but it's not a band member, right? And I think it, you know, I always got studio cuts with Cheryl, but she used a lot of different people in the studio, mm-hmm. and you want to be the guy. Yeah, but she didn't like to rely on anybody too much. Mm-hmm. So when when I first started with her, there were guys in the band, which was back in like ninety six, ninety five, ninety six. There were guys that were in the band before me that had never even gotten a track on a record. Really? And they lost their gigs eventually. Now, I came in, kept my gig, and always got some tracks on the record. So, mm-hmm. so it was a great, and I was really featured and you know, singing all the time. And, right. Um, so it wasn't really something I mean, something I'm guessing I that's a, like, that would allow you two to have a better working relationship, right? If you're sort of collaborating on, like you're singing with her and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure, but you... You want to be the guy. You don't want to be sharing. I mean, it, it hit me once when there was a song that she did in the studio that was spliced together with three different drummers, and that just kind of it kind of yeah. pissed it pissed me off. Like, who does that? Right. It, you know. I mean, whatever, whatever works. Like, but, that's but, not me on the chorus. Do you really need to splice three drums like Steve Jordan and then and then you know right. it just? Who was I? I was talking to somebody else about the same deal where they're like, oh yeah, it's me on the verse. But the bridge is somebody else, I and the mean, chorus is someone hey, else. Whatever. I mean, that's the way music is made now. It's all Frankenstein together. Right. Uh, Counting Crows, we're a dinosaur going in the studio and, and playing all together and getting the but take. That's how and, me, I feel like that's how music should be made. Totally. But, you know? but is it made that? I mean, how, no. how often is it? You know, I should have done this a long time ago, but I'm in the midst of making a drum studio downstairs for that. To so make I, can, and- I can you know, record mm-hmm. and have people send me stuff and whore myself out on right. the internet and do more recording because I got to make it happen myself. There's only so many, I get called for some sessions around here, but right. there's only so much in the Bay Area. It's not LA, it's not New York. And right. the days of people flying me somewhere and putting me up to do, you know, they got to really want you. Right. There's so many great players everywhere you go. This is just a way to, and it's 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 not the most conducive way to make music, but... It's the way that most music is yeah. made now. I mean, I think there's, I, I think that there's pros and cons to it. You know, like sure. 
you can have someone who's in New York that's really like, man, I really want you on my record. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I can send it to him and he can cut it and, and send it back to me. And he, he doesn't have to leave his family. I right. don't have to fly him out right. here or whatever it is. Oh, it's, um, it's great. The technology's great. But then to be like, well, I'm going to take your snare and I'm going to move it over here and then take this and put this over. It's like, well, then don't put my name on the yeah. record. <laughs> I mean, ideally. Are you going to have a, have a, a, a pen name, like a, a quote unquote pen name? So like. If they use your tracks, but they chop it all up, it'll be like, oh, it'll be like S- Steve McJones or something. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, if they're paying me and it's like, bring it on. I hate when they do that, when they put the the beat, you know, yeah. it just makes your all your playing sound so sterile. A, a very good friend of mine, uh, who like he plays on a ton of like really big records uh-huh. and I won't name his name, but... So he worked with someone in somewhere in Europe or something, and they sent it back to him, and he was like, "This is horrible." Yeah, like they moved everything around yeah. and all this other stuff, and uh, and he was like, "I don't really want my name on this uh, on this record." And they ended up they printed it and they sent him this email. And we're like, they were like, "We forgot to include you in the credits and all this stuff." He's and he's like, like, "Oh, don't worry about it." Yeah, <laughs> and Josh Free said the same thing. He went in and recorded some record with some band. And he wasn't really feeling it. And they were like, look, we just hired a new member of the band and we wanted to look like he was oh, the wow. guy. Like, do you mind if we put his name on it? He's like, yes, please put it on there. It's fine. It's fine with me. Hey, how many, how many ghost drummers were there out there where they paid them to be quiet though? Back in the day, that yeah. used to happen all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's all the reports of like Bernard Purdy saying he played on those Beatles records right. and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, or they were in there doing sessions. They don't even know who they were recording. ZZ Top had a lot of... A lot of ghost drummer. Yeah. Um, for a lot of years. Uh, Kiss, I heard. Really? <laughs> yeah. I never knew that about yeah. either one of them. About either one of them. Um, so we were talking about... Oh, I got way sidetracked. We were talking about Counting Crows audition. Talking about the Counting Crows yeah, yeah, audition. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about... Man, we sort of like... we, we me, man. I we, get, you no, get one I, thing and I just go... Whoop. No, I, I, I dig it. Um... <laughs> So talking about um, uh, being the guy, right? So you're 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 the ma- you're well, you're in the band or you're not in the band. That, that's why I made the decision that I was going to check this out, mm-hmm. Counting Crows, because I've I've always been a band person, right? I mean, I, that camaraderie and just being the guy and and you know making the records, you know. Plus, on the business end of things, there's more ways to get paid. I of mean, course. you're a band member, you get merchandise, you're going to be in all the pictures and 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 I also knew as much I mean I wouldn't say loyalty that I have a Cheryl cuz I was there 8 years but I felt like she felt that I was the best person to do the job as soon as she wakes up one day and doesn't feel that way you're gone you're gone right. you know there's no and so you know with the band you don't want to be anywhere where you're not wanted and they will get rid of you, but it's, it's a lot more difficult, but, but you're just part of the whole, whole process. Right. And with Cheryl, there was only certain things. I mean, it was as much of a band type of vibe as it could be with it being Cheryl Crow. And that's a credit to her that she knew that it would only improve the product and make her look better to feature everybody and have it as a real band vibe. Not everyone Mm-hmm. hiding in the corner, you know, like the Dixie Chicks tour, you know, I played with them on the fly tour. That was like, we were a backing band. Right. They made us wear all black. And we were, you know, I remember the, the first gig, they said the band was skillfully hidden. And that's what we called our band <laughs> after that. The dressing room would always say skillfully hidden. And it was a great band, but it right. was about 
the, th- the three girls. Well, mean, it I wasn't at, that type of vibe. I think about, you know, big name pop acts and stuff like that where, you know, sure. I mean, it's a great gig. Like right. if one of those call, one of those people called me, it would be hard to turn down playing for Katy Perry or something like that. But I, I think, I, I mean, I mean, I know I'm the same way you are where I'm like, I want to be in the band. I yeah. want to collaborate, but I'll, but I'll do all of it. I'll do the shit work too. Like yeah. that, that no one wants to do. And I'll spend the hours in the studio and build the band and all that kind of stuff well, too. It's also the musically. I mean, there are some really gigs that you could come across that musically maybe not your thing, but the pay is really well. So then you, that's a whole nother question. Right. And, and I'm not above playing some shitty music or think, or, you know, you do the best that you can with it. I wouldn't say shitty. And, and, and I wouldn't say that I would be above, you know, playing a gig. I don't know how long I would be able to do it. Fortunately, I've never been in that position. Right. Cause I've always done gigs that were musically really great. Yeah. Um, so I've never had to make that choice, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here all high and mighty and say, well, I would only do the gigs that, you know, if, 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 if I needed a gig and it wasn't the best musical gig and it paid well, I would do it. I don't know how long I could do it before I'd want to slip my wrist, right, but, right. but I, I bet I could last a while. Yeah. Right? Cause if you've got to survive, you've got to survive as a, it's a, there's a, it's business. And still at the end of the day, you know, going out and playing in front of 30,000 people is probably better than, you know, any other thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can get, and, and I've talked to guys again, I can't mention names, but that are in gigs where, the bands have changed, you know, gotten more commercial and, you know, they're not even playing on the records right. and it's, you know, everything's done with sequencers. Like musically, they're just not into it, but it's still a huge gig and, you know, they're not getting their fulfillment, but they're, mm-hmm. but the business side is happening yeah. and they're making all sorts of money or they can and, use it to leverage other things to right, make money but, too. But my advice to that is like, stay in it. And on your side time, do other things that are more fulfilling for you musically. Right. And you don't have to worry as much about the bread. But um, unless you have another gig that comes along that's paying a lot and is musically great, do not give up that big gig. Because as we've seen, you know, it's hard to get another big gig. And, and people think, okay, I leave this and, you know, Pearl Jam is going to be knocking on my door. Right. It's not so. Nobody cares. I, uh, you know, and, and this is from someone who's, done big gigs and out there, you know, swimming with the sharks. It's like, it may get you in the door, but no one really cares what you've done before. You've got to keep earning. What can, what have you done lately and what can you do for us? And you have to keep earning it. And it's, it, you know, for me, it was also nice to get in a band and have some security, but it's also so-called security because I like to always say we're all one step away from the Ramada, you know, (laughs) you gotta, you gotta keep earning it, but it's, but it's nice to have, you know, be part of something and not be looking over your shoulder. Well, I was going to ask you, guy. how does that change? How does that change sort of your mindset in your day to day where you're not hustling for gigs? You're not wondering if the phone's going to ring like, and you're in, yeah. like you, like you, you have a, you have a full-time job and it's with a band that you're yeah. a member and you own part of the band. That's and it. it's you're, a corporation. You're yeah. in there. It changes everything. Yeah. I, and, and back in the day, and I would always, there was a time where I would go from gig to gig and, it was going on. I was drummer for the female stars, man. It was Cheryl, Dixie Chicks, Stevie Nicks, Amy Grant, it, and and but that won't last forever. Right. I mean, you 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 you're always looking behind your shoulder and looking ahead. What's going to be the next gig? Mm-hmm. And, 
And, and you come or you come home and you're like, all right, uh, yeah, nothing, nobody's called me. I gotta. Oh, yeah, it's 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 stressful. Uh, and just having that security of a gig and not worrying about downtime because you know we're always going to do our summer tour or, or hopefully you know. Right. I, I mean, even this, you never know how much longer do we have. I mean, one of the one of the things I looked at, and and it wasn't. It was a big decision to leave Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to do it to be a band member. But I also, you don't know what you're getting into because every gig <clears throat> is a different set of problems like any other job. You may not know what they are and it may not have some <laughs> of the same pitfalls of your old gig, but they're going to be there. Right. And, and when... when There's um, still office drama, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and so when, when Adam had mentioned that, okay, this is our new drummer, I hadn't even talked to Cheryl. And before I could even get a hold of them, Gorman had called their office like offering his services to be the new drummer and they had never even heard you know so i immediately called cheryl and i said look like i don't i only checked this out because it was an opportunity to be a band member and she understood that she was a background singer for don henley a background singer for michael jackson she she knew right so she was really cool about it and I, i said i don't know what to do but this is an opportunity i can't i can't just let go right um but I was stuck. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. So we were down for a while. So she, Counting Crows, had a European and an Australian tour booked. She said, "Do those tours. See how it goes. If you don't like it, you come back. No questions asked." Really? Which was so cool. And and I felt like I'd earned that from her mm-hmm. after eight years, and I I bled for her. Um, but a lot of people, as soon as you artists, as soon as you start naming another artist, they're, they're like, "Get out!" It. Yeah. So I was able to do Counting Crows with Cheryl Crow to, to back up you know, if it didn't work out. <clears throat> and then as long as I could, I was playing both of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Counting Crows was kind of trying me out too. So so at a certain point, <clears throat> this was around 2003, um, I was doing them both. And then, of course, there's a schedule conflict. I was going to Europe with Cheryl and Counting Crows got a one-off for um, AOL. Mm-hmm. And the manager calls me up and he's like, well, we got this big corporate gig and i'm like well I've, I've got the european tour i said uh you know if i cancel this tour with cheryl and do this gig you know it'll that's like that's burning a bridge like she's gonna know i'm really gone so if i'm gonna do that i have to be a band member right and i want to be a band member at this time I'd, I'd made the decision and um and the manager's like okay i'll call you back <laughs> <laughs> and then right after that, I, I was. Oh, in. so you weren't in the band at the time. I was just a side man. If you at were first, it was. I mean, they wanted, they wanted a band member, but there's going to be a trial period, of course. So for both of us. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, when I'm going to burn that out of the bridge, I'm either in all the way or I'm not. So I right. kind of maybe I forced their hand a little. You know, they're not in a hurry to do it. You know, even if they had already decided I was the guy, because financially too, they they're a little better off just paying you. Uh, a weekly salary yeah and that's the other thing with it's a business decision too you're you know in the big scale of things you're gonna make more money Mm -hmm. hopefully yeah um so if you say you were already a band member and you had this scheduling conflict would you have just hired a sub for the counting crows gig for one show no there's no that's that's the that's the other edge of the sword i mean at least in our band you know there's no subbing out i you're a band Right. I'm the drummer for Counting Crows. There's not going to be any other. Right. And I won't, I, I wouldn't, you know, for me personally, 
I would. I don't know if I could sub out, but I never would. Right. I, it's just not. You know. And and in in some ways, that's the other edge of the sword. You take yourself out of this hired gun. You know, if I work with anybody, it's with the understanding that if Counting Crows gets a one-off or they a gig, I've got to go. Yeah. And because you're still doing sideman work too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not at the same level as I was. I mean before how many days like tours i can't just go out if i do a tour like what what if county crows gets a one-off like i i gotta you gotta go i gotta leave right in the middle of the tour i mean you you can work it out right and, and, how many and dates can, a year are you playing with counting crows it varies um you know this this year probably like four months solid and then some one-offs you right know, some it's like six or seven mm-hmm. um if you average everything out it's probably half a year right uh but uh some years are busier than others. So it's never, you know, and, and, and as we've gotten older, we're not a young band. We probably don't work as much. It'll get busier when we do our next record mm-hmm. because we'll tour more places. But, right. you know, we do our summer tour. That's where we earn our bones and, yep. and get paid. And then we'll, you know, we'll do a three month tour this summer, 25th anniversary. And then um, we'll do a little Europe. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Other than the little one-offs and things like that. Right, right. So, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, ProMark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. ProMark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play ProMark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. The Mapex Black Panther Design Lab Series snares are amazing, and so are the artist drums. Designed by Russ Miller, the Versitus Maple Mahogany Hybrid Shell offers a naturally pre-processed sound with just the right amount of low-end articulation and punch. A single SAS ring on the batter side only, a unique bearing edge combination, and the ideal depth size proportion all contribute to the perfect balance of strength, functionality, feel, and beauty for all playing situations. This drum is available in both a 14 by 6.5 and a 14 by 4 and 5 eighths. To learn more about the Versitas and the rest of the entire Design Lab series, check out mapexdrums.com. We touched on it a little bit. What's your approach to to replacing someone when you're coming in, especially on like, you know, some of these some of these records are like seminal recordings and you know yeah. are well known records. Like I don't know how like August and everything after sold how many records like twenty million or something crazy. Know, a or, lot. A lot. Thank God for that record. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good record. They're yeah. all good though. I mean, yeah, th- yeah. That's the thing you'll never top. 
you know, the, the, that's the thing that made me join that band too, was when I looked at, they just still have great songs and that mm -hmm. it's really the songwriting is so good and, and they still have things to say. And that's right. what made me feel more comfortable about making that break with Cheryl. I could see this band becoming like Tom Petty or the Stones on a smaller level where you grow older and you still have a career. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's been happening. You know, it's kind of a classic rock type of thing. And, you know, people that grew up on the band get their kids into it. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's all good. But you'll never top that first record. Not only, you know, those songs are amazing and there's still other songs that the band's written that are great. I think the songwriting stays on a high level. But, but when you have a magic record like that, where it's kind of a moment in time and people relate things to their life with that record and it'll always hold this special place. And, mm -hmm. and that's cool too. That right. It transcends things. It's, it's, uh, it's tough for some people to deal with having a record like that because you're always about what you're doing now, not what you've done back there. But, right. but no matter what, it's, it's impossible to top that record and that moment in time, that kind of magic that right. happens when there's a signature record like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, you got to embrace it. You yeah. got to kind of, that's the way I look at it. You, you, you still do the newer stuff and you change it up, but you, but you give them some of the things that they remember too. And not, I mean, you've been in the band since <clears throat> what, 2006? 2003. 2003. Yeah. So like you're the long, you're, you've been in the band longer than anybody else, drummer yeah. wise, yeah. you know? So it's, so now do you sort of like, okay, you look back and say, you know what, I'm going to pay homage to that, but this is my band. And, um, and so, you know. Well, the, the songs kind of, evolve and especially with counting crows because we're always like for better or for worse we'll piss people off because we're not going to do the songs exactly the, the way they are on the record right adam changes up the vocal yep um you know he's like a rock sinatra in some ways <laughs> um and and we're going to do different things to the songs you know as, as far as learning someone else's you know material it's the same thing as i was saying when i was auditioning you know you you I try to get the essence, the vibe of the song, mm -hmm. the, the groove, the feel, try to catch any signature fills, and then just go from, from there. Mm -hmm. And, and your, your stamp and your feel and, and, and what you bring to the table is going gonna, is gonna to work its way in there. Right. It's just going to happen. You sure. know? Um, sure. Because uh, you have your voice and the way you play is just going to come out in mm -hmm. it anyways. Um, but, but I try to catch just the the things that I think are the most important and bring a little of what I can, you know, take it to, you know, add to it. Mm -hmm. What do you think if that makes any sense? No, it does. <clears throat> it does. What do you think are some, some things that you see with drummers who are sort of on their way up, maybe mistakes that they're making or, or things that advice that you can give them in terms of, I don't want to necessarily say getting gigs, but, putting yourself in the best position to get gigs. I, I always talk about irons in the fire, you know, meaning, you know, with drummers, and this is what my dad was telling me way back in the day, like learn all the different styles. Okay, mm -hmm. again. Well, it's like, well, you asked me when I walked in, you were like, you do this and you do this. What else do you do? Yeah. I was like, well, I do this. I do. And you're like, oh, okay, good. You like, got you, 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 Yeah, you got to be like a chameleon, man. Right. And, and you're going to be better or enjoy certain things more than others, but... But being able to play a lot of styles is only going to make you better at whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's going to help your vocabulary and, and, and you're going to bring those different styles into what you're doing. 
but it's also going to help you if you're up and coming to get more gigs. Like if you can, you know, you wear these different hats, uh, you know, I can play punk, you know, what do you, you know, I can do this country gig. I mean, I look at my own career and I've done all these different things. It's, it's, you know, you bring some of yourself into all these other gigs, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but you got to be diverse. It's, it's just going to up your chances again. It's the mathematics thing, but, but, uh, uh, so put yourself in a lot of playing situations irons in the fire and if one takes off you go with that i mean don't do too many so you can't do a good job but but put yourself in a lot of different situations um that just ups your odds and then also it's it's also helping you because you're out there playing practicing as we all know super important but as important as it is if i'm going to pick practicing between being out there and playing uh doing recording doing gigs all the things that come with that i'm going to I'm going to do the work right? because that's just going to make you a better player. Um, ideally, you're doing both. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if it comes, I, I think it's even more important to be out there playing because there's things that you're developing, learning as a player that you're never going to be able to get and do just sitting in a practice room. Right. So many things um, that you're not even aware of that are just going on all the time. I mean, just playing with warm bodies, you know, just being able to, to, to cue dynamics, counting socks off, endings, you know, backing up soloists. I mean, it goes on and on and on, all these things that are happening constantly and just different things that are going to come up at the gig and ha- how you're going to react, how you're going to deal with them. And the more you do them, the better you're going to get at it. And, and all those things are going to be second nature. Mm-hmm. They're just engraved in you because you've had all this experience and all this stuff to, to back up on. And, and, and that's what comes in when you get yourself in these pressure situations, you have all that experience to lean on. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, this is what I've been doing. It's, it's no different, none of these gigs, there's no magic. They're not any different than playing in the clubs or the bars. It's the same damn thing. It's just, you know, hopefully more zeros on the check, right. but it's, it's the same thing. It's a couple people making music. It's all the stuff that everybody's been doing it, you know, as above, so is below. I mean, there may be some differences, that. but it it I'm I'm here to tell you, man, it's the same thing. Right. When I right. when I got in that audition with Cheryl, it was what I've been doing my whole life. I'm in a couple I'm in a, a room with a couple people making music. Right. And then of course the first gig was, you know, a hundred thousand people under the arch <laughs> in St. Louis. I mean, that's no joke. Right. It was the first gig. And you're like, no no warm up gigs. No yeah. pressure, right? And, and, uh, but I think it's more intimidating playing if I've never played in front of a hundred thousand people. I've played in front of 35 or so. And I think it's more intimidating to play in front of six people than oh, 35,000 yeah. You get numb to how many people, I mean, it also changes the way you play too, right. because when you're playing a smaller gig, all the subtleties are there. Uh-huh. I mean, the subtleties get lost at a certain point mm-hmm. and, and you even have to alter how you're playing things because the subtleties aren't going to get through. Right. When you're playing an arena. Right. Um, I interrupted you. Like, what were you saying about, so you get this, this first gig is 100,000 people. Oh, oh, it was just, you know, bam, I was out there. Again, you just, I'd never been on TV before. I remember like after the gig, I go back to the hotel the whole week. It'd just been a whirlwind. You know, we just mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live, all these things. And or we were doing that 
the, the gig was before Saturday Night Live. Are you sort of like, is this real? Yeah, like, you're just, you're, you don't even have a chance to really take it all in yet because you've just been working so hard and everything is happening so fast. And so that was the first time I kind of just like, oh man, okay, I've got this gig. We just did this amazing show that was the most people I've ever played in front of. You know, oh man, just relax a little bit because we'd done like pressure rehearsals for mm -hmm. a week up until the first gig. And uh, I just flip on the TV and every channel is showing, you know, the 4th of July thing with Sheryl Crow. And I'm like right behind Sheryl. Every, <laughs> every channel, I'm like, I'm Beavis and Butthead. I'm, ha, 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 there I am again. <laughs> it was a real, it was a very surreal moment. And then the next week we're off doing Saturday Night Live. Right. You know, back when, I mean, not that it's not cool now, but you would. You can say it. It's yeah, well, I mean, it was. You'd play two songs. You'd be part of a skit. I mean, it and was Saturday Night Live was a lot funnier than it is now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't know what goes on with the show now, but back then it was a real big deal to do it. Yeah, and, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, my wife's friend was like <clears throat> one of the new cast members. Uh huh. And I guess they bring you on for a season, and if you're good, then they bring you back, and if you're not, then you don't come back. Right. Uh, he was one of the guys that didn't come back, but. I, so we were like, oh, we should watch the show, you know? And we watched it, and I was kind of like, I don't, it's not very funny. I just don't think it's, <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe I shouldn't put that on public record, but like... <laughs> you suck, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't... I don't I, and I used to... When I was younger, you know, I, I watched it, and it was great, you know? But It's I just, hard to keep up that kind of level is. and the cast change and... Right. <clears throat> you know, all our favorite... Look how great The Simpsons were for so many years. And, mm -hmm. then, you know, that eventually... Things are gonna fall off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you can only you can only produce that right. that level of stuff. Except for, for my so. band, Counting Crows. Still, <laughs> we're still, not gonna drop off. <laughs> still doing it. Still doing it. And well, putting out good music. You, you can you can see like when we're out on the road. Speaking of keeping the quality up, I can tell on nights when you, you're not gonna feel like playing every night. And you know when right. people are a little tired or you know, and I, I start the pep talk. You know before, you know, you like those fluffy pillows at the four seasons you know this is where you earn it because right. every gig it may just be another gig for you as corny as this sounds but it's the one night someone has a chance to see you so you 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 owe it to them and just your respect for the music to give everything you have every night and i've, right. I've always done that and and i'll be the first one to admit some nights are going to be better than others but it's never going to be for lack of trying right. or mailing it in i don't even know what that is Right. You know, you just go and you give everything you have. And and that's why, one of the reasons why I've I've worked. I mean, people know what they're going to get from me, which mm -hmm. is everything, every night. Right. And, and, and coming up with Cheryl, that was what it was like. I mean, that woman, she is such a hard worker. <clears throat> and at the beginning, we were playing five nights in a row, one night off. I mean, it was insane. And we would be out like, 10, 12 weeks at a time. And I had never even toured at this kind of level before. And I mean, that kind of got too extreme, but <clears throat> you got to hang in there. Yeah. And she knew, you know, what she was going to get from me. Mm -hmm. And as a drummer, man, you're, you're the wave. Everybody is riding the wave. And yeah. The drums are the wave. So you've got to bring it. You know, it's not a party out there. You got to take care of yourself <clears throat> and you got to bring it every night. Mm-hmm. It reminds me the other the other day I was watching a game. I'm a big baseball fan, so I was watching the Phillies game, and it's like 40 degrees in Philly. Yeah, there's like 17 people in the stadium. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, the, I'm sure I don't care. You're a professional baseball player. You make millions of dollars. Whatever. There's some nights I'm sure that you go a lot of nights. You go out and you're like, man, I 
the last thing I feel like doing right now is playing baseball. Right. In front of no one, freezing cold, or even if it's in the dead of August, you know, but that's why, one, that's why you get paid well. Right. And two, you're there for a specific job. You're there to perform. And you're there because you got hired to do something particular. Right. And for you, it's like walking out on stage. And I'm sure that walking out on stage, even if you don't feel like playing the gig, by the time you walk off the stage, you're like, man, that was fucking great. Yeah. You know? and, it, and it's great. And even those, you know, it's interesting you say, okay, there's no one in the audience. Uh, you have to, I feel like it's better... You don't want to rely on the audience and, and things like that for your inspiration. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when it's exciting and there's a lot of people and you're getting feedback from the audience, of course that's great and use that. But you've got to get it from within. So that's what you can count on. you got to get it from within yourself and from the other people you're playing on. That's what you can count on every day. Right. You can't count on getting it from the people out in the audience because you, you never know what it's going to be like and there's those gigs where there's no one. But if 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 you're playing for the music and for yourself and for the other people that you're playing with, that's a good place to start. Right. I mean, when the audience gets involved with that and they're part of that, I, I'm all for it. But, mm-hmm. but I always look within and with the people I'm playing, that's that's where you're going to get the inspiration and, and where you're going to be able to play your best every sure. day. I, want, I wanted to ask you something that you mentioned before about getting yourself in more playing situations and with you like getting in the room, right? Getting the audition, getting in the room with these people who, who are playing at a higher level or, you know, are doing tours at high, high levels. How, and this is a hard question, but how do you suggest that people do that? How do you suggest that they either put themselves in more playing situation? Because what happens, I get, I get thousands of emails, right? Yeah. And I can give them my advice for what I did, but I always like to hear from other people. One thing I did, um, I was playing cover gigs, you know, mm-hmm. to make a living. And and also you're you're practicing and you're out there and that was one of the things that helped me with my vocals too was doing those, you know, playing 3-4 hours a night mm-hmm. uh all the time. But if you're making your break to do original music and play in bands, and this was just my decision, but I think that you can get caught up in these well-paying cover bands and gigs and that seems to lead to more of the same thing, which is more cover, cover gigs. gigs. So, so I made the choice to stop all that and even have a part-time job, you know, and play in more original bands, even though I was making less money, but I felt like those were more vehicles to get me to the places I wanted to go. Right. And, and um, even if I had to do an, a non-music day job for a while to make ends meet, I thought ultimately that helped me right. and I was able to play in these different original bands and that those bands were how my name got out there to Cheryl. My name's not going to get out there to Cheryl from playing in a cover band. A, yeah. It's yeah. not going to happen. I mean, and you know, like, you always hear those stories of someone comes in and you, you know, they see somebody and you never know where it's going to come from. But, but for me, if you're making that break and, and this is what you want, I, I think you've got to cut the cord. You know, now, yeah. I've got a gig. I play my bar van and play cover tunes, and I don't care. It's right. great because I'm not, you know. And I get relying I get, on it for to yeah. get you gigs, and, and I get a lot lazier being in a band than I was when I was a sideman of, like, you know, doing interviews, doing drum ads. Like I was involved in all that, and then once I got the band gig, I'm a little less worried about it for right. better or for worse. Sure, know. sure. Anyways. But yeah, and, and I think that makes sense. It's like if you 
sure you're just going to get into the better cover gig in the in town and you know yeah. it's like it's not going to all those guys are and it's easy to get stuck into that trap because they make money early but right. long term right. you're better off going the original route and, and and finding you know getting into a band or for sure being a sideman or whatever it is yeah right so talk about uh, I want to be cognizant of your time but talk about on the road you were talking about you know staying healthy being prepared, taking care of yourself. Is there certain stuff that you do when you're on the road to make sure that you're... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Everybody thinks it's a, that isn't a musician and thinks it's a big party and they see... And, and, and all these bands... It's like, when you, did you ever see the, the memes where it's like, what really happens backstage? And you walk it back, it's like four right. guys sitting on their laptops. And, and even you know. the bands that were big partiers, man, eventually they stopped all that because <laughs> if they either did or they... They killed themselves, mm -hmm. you know? They eventually got it together. And, you know, even touring with the Stones and all that, you know, Keith Richards said to me one time, he said, ah, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's not easy being Keith Richards, you know? <laughs> and, and, and basically saying, like, it's a persona. Right. And he's not drinking liquor in that cup anymore. I mean, those guys have done their days their, of partying. Yeah. But, you know, Mick Jagger's at the gym every day, like those guys. Right. And it's been that way for a long time right. Eating now. salads and meditating. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, it it to last in this business, I mean, I came up in the in the days of, you know, everyone's drinking bottled water and going to the hotel gym every day and trying to sleep. And it's 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 not a party out there. I, right. I mean, yeah, just taking, I mean, it's already going to be really tough with all the travel mm -hmm. and lack of sleep staying healthy you don't need to throw partying or any kind of that into the into the into equation, the equation. You know? right i mean you you can bust loose once in a while but you know try to do it on a when everything meets up right and you got a day off the next <laughs> yeah. day but but for me i've always been this way i just it's not that i don't drink i do but not when i work right and not on a night before not on a, you know everybody's different this is right. just the rule that i have and that's the way i've always been Right. I, I think when I was really young, I did a a New Year's gig, and we did the last set, and then um, I started drinking some, partying, and then they hired us again. You know, they paid us some more money to play another set, and I was I was kind of loaded, <laughs> and I remember the guys in the band during the set like turning around, looking at me, and I was so like ashamed and embarrassed. <laughs> and you're like, and, I didn't know they were gonna. And, and I pr I promised myself I would never put myself in that situation yeah. again because it I, felt awful i, I mean, get it man for me when I, like a lot of people what people some people think they sound better when they're drinking but that's just that's because they're drinking that's because they're drinking and then <laughs> they hear the playback and it sounds like crap for me i always my, i always my thing is i have i'll have one beer per set uh-huh that's it right so if i have more than that my hands feel like concrete yeah and i just can't play and i don't like it and now most of the time, it's like, you know, the show's over, and it's like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't have anything, yeah. you know. So I I agree, man. You know, maybe a drink after the show or something. I barely have time to, even if I wanted to, <laughs> grab a drink, you know. I, when, when I play uh, with my bar band in the, in the, at home, like, we play song after song. I have to worry about drinking water before and after the gig because I get dehydrated, dehydrated man, because yeah. we just don't stop playing. Right. You know, it's kind of, uh, and when when you've done that, going out on the road playing a two-hour set with, uh, or 90 minutes to two hours with Counting Crows is nothing. Yeah. It's easy. Yep. 
And you yeah. don't have to lug your gear. You know. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a that's a good luxury to have. It's good. It's good to get it's good to get back and get in touch with your gear and and haul your stuff out there and remind yourself what you know what it's like. Keeps you grounded. It keeps you grounded yeah. and and appreciate when you go out there. Yeah. And uh, only have to worry about playing, mm-hmm. which is enough. Uh, yeah. Um. But uh. But it's a good thing. I mean, we all have to keep ourselves in check. I remember there was a time, you know, where I would have given a limb uh, to fly to a gig. And now if I'm not in business class or I'm not, you know, it's like, what the hell? And it's like, it's like, wait a second, you know, easy cowboy, you know, you you used to. As long as you don't refer to yourself in the third person, right? Yeah. Well, in my head, I'm just like, you know, mellow out. (laughs) Come on. Who do you think you are? Right. And and the same goes for gigs. When uh, I remember growing up in the Bay, if we could just play Slims, man, that those guys that play Slims, like they've made it. And then after you do it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, there's there's that. And uh, what's next? And then I want to play the Fillmore. And then I want to play the Warfield. Uh, I remember when we first went into town with Cheryl Crow and we played the Warfield. You know, it was my first hometown show, but we'd already played a whole bunch of shows and I'd been all over the world before right. we went in the Bay Area. And we go in there for sound check and, you know, the lights are on. I'm like, oh, man, this place is kind of a shithole, you know? <laughs> and again, it was like, wait a second, check yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, w- I wanted to play here so bad. Yeah. I should have wanted to play Wembley or, you know, whatever. You know. This place is whack. Yeah. <laughs> no, the war feels cool, but... I guess you always got to keep the carrot and, mm-hmm. and keep keep the desire, keep keep wanting to do more. Yeah, I think there. Someone told me, and I'm I forget exactly the way that he said it, but basically he said with with sort of repetition becomes it becomes normal, right? right. So the things before where you're like, man, this is so amazing, yeah. you know, it just seems it it seems normal after all. even driving up here, frankly, like. 15 years ago, if I was, you know, 10 years ago, if you were like, oh, you're going to go like hang out with the drummer from Counting Crows, right, right. you know, it would like, it would blow my mind, but I've done 400 of these interviews. Not that I'm discounting yeah. this because it probably sounds like I am. I'm not. No, I get it. To me now, it's just like, well, this is what I do, you know? And they're all people. Yeah. They're, they're all, you, you could be, you know, your, your, your biggest hero, the, the, the best musician ever. They're all people all go through the same things and and then also some of them are jerks <laughs> really you know then it's like wow it takes it takes all the things that you appreciated kind of out of the equation for me yeah. I, I wish i'd never met them because then you then know every you time i hear them. them i'm like oh man they're they're such an yeah such an asshole it's it's too bad because i think it's more important how you are as a person than than how you are as a player but uh but then when you meet people that are really great, it makes you feel good about music, about life. Yeah. And, you know, most of the people are, are pretty cool. Up yeah. There. I think, I mean, mo- you know, I've done close to 400 of these episodes and I think there was two people out of all of them yeah. who I was like, oh, they were kind of a dick, you know. I just don't get <laughs> like, but mo- like everyone's, but I think there's a reason why people are in the position that they're in because they're cool, because they're not like, you got hired for Cheryl because of your playing, or you got into Counting Crows because of your playing. Yeah. If you were a dick, you wouldn't be there long. It's, and it's, no one would work with you. It's as important. We didn't touch upon that, but it's as important as your playing, mm-hmm. if not more. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're talking about 
being on the road and being on the bus and all the time you have to spend, you've got to, you know, just like the drummer has to navigate a lot of things on stage and, and, you know, supporting the singer and the dynamics and the soloists and the endings and making sure everybody's got their parts and, you know, you're, you're running things back there. You also have to deal with all these personalities off the stage. Right. And different people are going to need different things. And, and just being able to get along with all these different folks, it's a big part of what you do out yeah. there. And not only that, but all the crew people and, and you know, the whole organization. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you got to have those people skills and you got to be able to, uh, you know, I, I actually work harder if there's someone out there that I dislike then, then I will with someone that I like because I know because it's an effort. I'll put an extra effort in right. to kind of just make sure make sure things are smooth, right? As right. much as I can. Sure, you know. And I, I always say that the playing is, you know, you have to play well. Yeah, that, like you, that's that's grand. That's a given, right? Yeah. It's like there's a million great players out there. So how well do you gel with the band? How how are you cool? Are you easy to work with? It's like you're right. living on a bus with someone for. It's like having a roommate. Totally. And, and, and back to what we were talking about, you know, with people searching, okay, how am I going to get to the places I want to go and, and, and get these gigs? And, you know, of course, music has changed and, and the business changed, but it's still the same type of things. You know, there may be, it was still really hard back in the day to get a gig as it is, you know, I don't know if it's hard again, who knows, right. uh, but it's always been difficult. But I think the same things apply. If you, if you work really hard and you're good at your craft and, and you keep plugging away through the disappointments because they're going to be there. It, uh, it's like, you know, getting punched in the stomach and you get the wind knocked out of you and you keep standing up to get hit again. Eventually, and, and I believe this and I know it, you, you won't be denied. There'll be a gig out there. There'll be something. I, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, and this isn't always individuals' faults, but life takes people away from those goals, you know, whether they have a family or they have to make money. But there was a certain amount of time where I live with blinders on. Right. And, and it was like, I'm getting to this goal that I have or I'm going to die trying. And that's the kind of, that's kind of what it takes. Yeah. Um, Cause it doesn't happen overnight uh, uh, for, for hardly anybody. It's mm-hmm. just a, a long process, but I really feel like, you know, and I was asking the same questions. I'm, I'm working at Best Music in Oakland and I'm playing in all these bands. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And the answer was exactly what I'm doing. Just keep on the, keep stay on the, the trail. Course. Stay yeah. the course. And one of my friends who I mentioned earlier, David Immergluck, he got the gig with uh, John Hyatt. And, and, you know, we played in all these bands and there they were, you know, on Letterman. And, and it really it hit me okay, like it can really happen because here's someone that I know and I do bands with and, and here he is. It, it can, you know, if you, you keep going, you know, that could be you. I mean, right. in, in some ways, he was representing all of us. Just like when I started to get my breaks, I was representing, you know, my family and my friends and the people that I played with and, right. and showing all of them like, hey, it can't happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even the, you know, when I went back to the music store, all the drummers there were like, oh man, you're our hero because you were doing exactly what we're doing and, and you made it happen. Right. You know, I don't want to say hero, whatever. No, no, no. But, I, but I, uh, I, um, you know, and, and, and I never even thought of it like that, but I, I was really proud and happy to be able to, 
to do that or, mm-hmm. or you know that they felt that way and and uh and you need that because it gets discouraging man yeah it's, of course it's, it's uh it's tough out there but you seem like you're you're a hard worker like i feel like you grind then you're you gotta grind yeah. <laughs> that that all that goes without saying i mean right. if you don't have that forget about it because right. there's i've met people you know that have a lot of natural talent, God-given talent, whatever you want to call it, and they don't have the work ethic. And and I'll tell them, you know, there are people that are as talented as you and even more talented that work their butt off. Yeah. And and those are the people that you're that you're competing for for gigs. Right. You know, I'm sorry to use the competition no, thing. I, think- I know, but it but I really feel like, you know, you've got to measure yourself like, you know, against other players mm-hmm. and, and how you're going to get these gigs and succeed. Um, Are there particular things that you were doing like outside of your playing in terms of work ethic, in terms of grinding, in terms like, was it always connecting with people? Was it always, was it going to shows? Was it, was it all of the above? I mean, I, I was never really good at the whole networking thing. I mean, I guess right. I just kind of, I just thought about it as like doing hard work and, and eventually, uh, you know, all that is really important. That's a whole nother, you know, I probably could have done a lot more of that, but, but I like to think that I didn't make, I could have made more connections with people and networked more, right. but, but for me, this is how it worked. The ones that I made happened organically and naturally and were very genuine. And those are the ones that, lasted and you know i'm just not the type of person that's just gonna like every name and every number but the but the ones that happened naturally and through playing were were great connections and those helped me Mm -hmm. but they just sort of happened organically yeah that makes sense you know and sometimes i would beat myself up like man i should be more like such and such and beat the pavement and get out there and network myself right but um you know i did and that may come naturally for for other people mm-hmm. and they should definitely go down that road but, sure. the, but the way i did it it kind of worked for me i think it worked out well <laughs> fortunately <Yeah. laughs> so the tour so you guys are hitting the road soon right yeah june uh for three months in the states and it's uh 25 years of counting 25 years and counting nice <laughs> so check Which out is- the tour go to countingcrows.com for the for the tour dates all that stuff they can get yeah, tickets, yeah. all that fun stuff and, got a uh, Facebook page. See again, I should have Instagram. I might start the Instagram this summer for the tour. I, we'll start it today while we're here. Okay. I'll get you. I'll get you set up, and we'll start it. And the first picture can be. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll take a good picture and put it up. That's yeah. You should you know document the tour. For sure. It'll be good. Sure. Jim, thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy. Thanks for inviting me into your home. My pleasure. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Fun. It. Good time. I hope we got some good stuff in we there did. for him. We did. Now we can now I'll turn the recorder off. We can get into all the real shit. <laughs> <laughs>There you have it, the one, the only Mr. Jim Bogus, and you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 621. And if you haven't already, check out the new website. Just go to drummersresource.com. Fully brand new website that we built from the ground up. A, a really robust search tool in there. Cleaner layout, much easier to use on mobile and all of that. So check it out. Just go to drummersresource.com. Let me know what you think. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon.
Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.